Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope The Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out TheRinger.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And The Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at YouTube.com slash TheRinger. None of it is real. So where the fuck are we? Welcome to the Recapables Westworld, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your host, David Shoemaker. Today, we're talking season three, episode two. The Winter Line. We're doing this before airing without the benefit of subtitles or Reddit groupthink or a safety net. In this episode, we get a lot of Maeve. We get Maeve in Nazi Germany, Maeve in the lab, or maybe we should just say Maeve in a simulation. Oh, and Bernard and Stubbs are looking for Maeve. I wonder if they'll find her. I am joined for my laboratory debriefing this week by Ringer Culture Editor Andrew Guadadaro, and as always, the guy with the gun losing to the guy with the axe, Danny Heifetz. <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm great, man. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic, Danny. I am. I'm dandy. Okay, good. Well, let's start off the way we always start off. Andrew, what is your tweet length review of the winter line? Vincent Cassell looks great in linen and is also God. <laughs> I really thought you were going to rhyme. After <laughs> Vincent Cassell, I thought you were going to rhyme with linen somehow. That is a great review of this episode. A lot happened before we got to Vincent Cassell, though. So um, uh, here in brief is everything that happened. Analysis. We must be on vacation because we are hitting the bottle early. Bottle episode, I mean. Here we are, back in Nazi Germany, or War World, as it's called, where Maeve is interrupted by none other than, none other than Hector, her one true love, who has stolen some Nazi plans and is helping Maeve escape, even though she doesn't seem to have her mind control powers anymore. But she still has her Ric Flair eye poke finisher. They dispatch with some guards and hop into a fancy red car and drive off into an airplane to get the hell out of this world. Except, whoops, the pilots are dead and Hector never actually knew it was Maeve anyway because he's part of the, let me check thesaurus.com here, story, script, simulation, well, whatever. Hector Vittore, which is what they're calling him now, does a shootout with some Nazis and Maeve is like, okay, who cares, and shoots herself in the head because that's the only real way of escape. She wakes up in the lab, obviously, And there's trusty old Felix, but when she moves her hand, he just sort of walks away. So Maeve sneaks off on her own and finds the room where they're steam cleaning the host bodies and sees Hector. And, hey, there's Sylvester. And and he sees her. And he's like, uh... But he doesn't really seem to recognize her. So some guards come to her and and corner her. And she's about to commit suicide by drill. But wait, what the hell? There's Lee Sizemore to the rescue. Apparently he just got shot a handful of times and didn't actually die in season two. And he survived. And now he's forever indebted to Maeve for all that she taught him on their journey last season. He says he put her in War World because it's next to the Forge, which will let Maeve join her daughter in the Valley Beyond. How sweet. Meanwhile, Bernard arrives back on Westworld, and I gotta say, security is pretty lax. He hops over a barbed wire fence or two, and then bam, he's at the old chapel. He goes into the old lab in the basement, and there's a room full of old Bernards, and oh yeah, there's Stubbs, who's apparently shot himself in the head and committed suicide. Except, whoops, he's still alive somehow and jacked. And guess why? He's a host, yo. He had no purpose after there were no more hosts to protect or something. But now he has Bernard again. So off they go to find Maeve because only she can stop Dolores. So they're going off to War World, right? Nope. They go to the Deep Freeze, which is obviously where she should be. In the Mesa, they see some host drones who have temporarily replaced QA while the board decides about the future of the park, which, oh man, this isn't quite matching up. Something's off here. And they find all the decommissioned hosts and, whoop, there's Maeve right there. And so, I mean, what in the hell? And wait, and somebody took out her control unit too? I I don't really know. They go to the tech department of Park 4, which is apparently Thrones World, uh, because there are Benioff and Weiss sawing up Drogon. Really. Back to Maeve. She wakes up back in War World and leaves Hector behind and meets up with Sizemore and they ride some horses off to the forge, which where, where Sizemore is like, 
you know what to do. And Maeve is like, I've never been here before in my life. And Sizemore is like, then who airdropped all the hosts to the Valley Beyond? Oh, it was Dolores. But Sizemore is acting weird. And now he's all in love with Maeve because she made him a better man. Great line. And Maeve is like, I'm no idiot. You're a host. And excuse me while I expound here for a minute. Everyone is fake. Everything is a construct. But thankfully, the programmers of the simulation are dumb. So she gets two techs stuck in a loop trying to find out the square root of negative one or something, which apparently lures all the other techs in. And that whole situation is thoroughly fucked. So Maeve goes back to War World where she's planted copies of the secret Nazi plan in everyone's pocket to sow chaos and it works and there's a big shootout and wait, everything freezes and she's crippled the network and bam, Maeve hacks into the real lab that this simulation is housed in. She takes over a maintenance drone who takes Maeve's control unit out and escapes the lab or well, almost. She makes it to the lawn outside but then a bunch of security guards shoot her dead. Back to Westworld where Bernard and Stubbs decide that if Maeve is missing, maybe Dolores took her and hey, what is Dolores up to anyway? Bernard plugs himself into the system to check to see if Dolores left any clues inside him and he gets a strobe light montage that I'm sure Reddit will figure out for me. Some guards come and try to shoot Bernard, but Stubbs takes him down with an axe and says, hey, Bernard, we got to scram. So they go to the beach and jump in a boat and they sail off to find Dolores and our dude Liam Dempsey Jr. who Bernard remembers that Dolores is way into back in the library in season two. I don't remember that, but okay. Finally, Maeve wakes up in a modern bedroom wearing a modern dress, and she exits into a, exits into a garden where she meets Sorak, who tells her that there was a problem with the perfect world Rehoboam had created. He thought it was Maeve, which I guess is why he had her locked up in the simulation, but nope, it's Dolores, and now he wants Maeve to kill her. The end. Do you know where you are? All right, that took a little doing, but that was the whole, the whole of episode two. There is a lot going on here, but thankfully, I think kind of like last season, they've kept the first two episodes pretty streamlined to help us, uh, to help us understand what's going on in this, in this crazy, crazy world. The big idea this week is reality, but before we get to our traditional big idea discussion, I want to talk to Andrew Gutadaro. Andrew, what is your big theory about this episode of Westworld? So my big theory is that we are in a simulation within a simulation. And I want to, (laughs) I I would like to steal this from Allie's manager from A Star is Born, who was in uh, episode one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You don't cast this guy and have him say things unless they're going to mean something. Um, He said, none of this is real. We're living in a simulation. And then he said, think about it. How fucking ironic would it be if they had put a simulation inside a simulation? And then, you know, Dolores came back at him with, well, you're just trying to control things because of this thing in your brain. But, you know, at the end of this episode, when we finally meet Vincent Cassell, in a, I, I got to say, he's looking great, like just excellent future style on that guy. Um, uh, Maeve asked him, so you're an oracle. And he says, an oracle would merely predict the future. Our work is to create it. And then he says, history now has an author. So I think that he's sort of just explaining what Rehoboam, this circular thing that we saw in the first episode, what it's actually doing. And I think what it's doing (laughs) um, is it is predicting the future and basically simulating the future and then bringing that simulation turning that simulation into reality. And, you know, I think there's two ways to think about this here. It's either Rehoboam is literally creating a simulated future that we, I say we, but humans are then living in, or it's more of like a philosophical question because if Rehoboam can simulate the future and tell people what they're going to do, then is reality even reality or are we just now on tracks and sort of going from what we did and is, is what we did our choice or is it just part of this AI simulation? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I like how two timelines is so two seasons ago and now it's like two simulations. Every, yeah. Right. Um, well, for, I mean, yes, we talked on Tuesday or whatever, our last episode briefly about the idea of multiple timelines. Um, now obviously we're in a weird world where you're right, whether or not there's, I mean, there, there's no need for timelines anymore. It's like, there's no need for wheels where we're going. Um, everything is super weird. I, 
I don't know exactly what to how to respond to what you said, Andrew, except <laughs> to say that like I am sure, except to say that I'm sure that you are correct, and <laughs> like you will be something from what you just said will be proven right before this season's out. Um, this is the most deeply like weird thing to try to talk about, uh, <laughs> or I mean, let alone wrap one's mind around, but. So I mean, just, so just to break down what you were just saying, is is there is one of the versions of what you were said that like is it possible that like all the humans that once existed are like in deep freeze somewhere while their like consciousnesses are living in a simulation like Maeve was just in? Is that part of the theory? Yeah, or it or is it that humans don't even realize that they are now living in a simulation? Because I mean we sort of saw in this episode that, you know, simulations are now something that you can touch and sort of interact with. So, you know, it's this sort of seamless technology. So is this future that humans are walking into reality or is it just something that's been laid out by this incredible technology? So it's either a simulation full stop or it's like a metaphorical simulation because we're all just stuck in this loop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did seem like <laughs> in episode one, we got a lot of what the loop or what the simulation would be, right? Through mm-hmm. Aaron Paul's character, Caleb. And and um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely, he was bristling against it, but it's not like he didn't seem to have any power or much volition at all, even as he, he, even as he was going about his like criminal enterprises on, on uh, Re- the Rico app, it seemed all very mechanical. Like it all seemed pre-programmed, sort of. Yeah, um, and I, I think... Um... You should also, we should also keep in mind that like most of these scenes are beginning with a shot of the Rehoboam sort of circle or whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. I think that suggests that what we're seeing is that like Rehoboam is the narrator here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so even the things that are happening to Caleb could just be projections. Yeah. I mean, there's that, that, that brings up a lot of interesting questions about like, how much Rehobo must have known about what happened in the previous two seasons of the show. Um, we know that Rehobo, we know that, that, that insight, the company behind Rehobo and, and uh, Delos are in some sort of cahoots from that brief conversation that we saw on the rooftop in, in episode one. Hi, do you want to jump in here? Do you have anything to say? Or do you want to, or, or do you have any, like it, do you want to try to explain how Andrew could be right or wrong? Depending well, on I'm what curious, you think. Andrew, do you see any connection here between this, what we learned in this episode and the movie inception, because obviously the creator of Westworld <laughs> is one of the creators is Jonathan Nolan. He's the brother of Christopher Nolan who made the dark Knight and inception. And there's so many references we see to inception. Uh, I mean, the beginning of season two literally begins with like Bernard waking up on a beach. Uh, there's, I mean, it, just mm-hmm. in this episode, uh, Stubbs was fighting Delos employees like Batman, where it's like he beat eight guys with guns with no gun, but, it's just all these tight cuts. So it's just like the Batman fighting scenes where there, if you zoomed out, there'd be seven guys just standing still. But this one, it's like, instead of inception where it's like a dream and a dream and a dream, it's this one's a simulation and a simulation and a simulation. So do you see like that kind of structure here? And maybe it's like ambiguous or maybe there's an answer. Like, I'm just curious if you see any parallel there. I mean, I cer- I certainly think it's possible for st- these simulations to be stacked on each other and for, you know, those those sort of layers to be broken down as the season goes on. Um, I think there's also that sort of connection, philosophically speaking, where in Inception there's that sort of concept of is it your idea or is what you do, you know, your free will if it came from an idea that was placed in your head. And I think that's sort of what's going on here too is 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 it something that you're doing if a machine has predicted that you're going to do it anyways? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, cause you mentioned philosophically and like what the show's kind of really getting at, which is wild is it's just kind of getting at like Descartes, like, like I think <laughs> right. therefore I am, which is, you know, if I think I exist and then there's an updated version of it, which is how can you, how do you know you're not a brain in a vat? Like your brain is just in a pool of liquid and you know, all your sensory perceptions can be influenced with, electrical signals you know almost like the matrix but it's that's basically what this was right because they literally pull Maeve's thing out of this like liquid pool and it's a she's the brain in a vat so they are kind of getting right to the essence of like Descartes from like 600 years ago 500 years ago yeah it stands to reason it stands to reason that I and mean, we saw the the lab where Maeve's 
control unit or whatever was was being kept inside of this simulation, right? And there were these like giant white, like you know, like IKEA hat racks that had all yeah. these different like you know control units stuck to them. And I mean, it, it only it stands to reason that like this is not their first rodeo, right? This is not Insight or Ciroc's first massive world building simulation because he wouldn't have had time to put that to, the ability to put that together just just for the sake of keeping Maeve occupied, right? I mean, this was. This is clearly something that he's done before. So has he done it in just trial experiments or is he doing it like literally at this moment in the entire world? Like, I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah. It also, it also seemed to suggest that he's sort of for that, for May's specific simulation, he was pretty much copy pasting stuff from previous things. Right. He probably knows huh. all the keyboard shortcuts. He seems like he's that kind of guy. <laughs> you know, I think anything is possible with this show. And I do. And like I said, I do think that like your theory is going to bear out to be true in some form or fashion. I, you know, it's possible. It's impossible to predict how this thing is going to shake out. It's impossible to, to make any assumptions about the direction they'll go. I I'm struggling to wrap my head around what that reveal would even look like. Like what, like if it turned out that we're all in a simulation, is that just like the big pullback the curtain on in episode 10 this season is just like, the entire world is just like a like a an empty like barren landscape with a bunch of like laboratories on it. Like what like how and what would that even mean for like season four? I, the whole I don't know. This whole thing is going to break my brain before it's over. I'm sure. <laughs> Episode um, two, baby. Andrew, well, I feel like I mean to get to that, I feel like it would either have to be they break through the barrier and they you know they keep breaking through worlds, which they might be able to do forever, or at some point you have to come to peace with, yeah, you might be in a world within a world within a world. And you just like, what world do you want to have? And I think that they might just have to come to peace with, okay, we're going to fight over this one. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I love the movie inception. Um, I know there's some members of the ringer staff, uh, maybe <laughs> at the top that don't love it as much as I do, but I mean, don't, don't much as much as, as some people do, but, but there is the sort of like, I think confusion with some of Christopher Nolan's original works um, that I have sort of with Westworld, which is, you know, I talked it, I've talked about it a number of times. I sort of call it like the, the unreliability of the showrunner, but like you don't watching inception. I think you're kind of, it's, it's incredibly cool, right? It's undoubtedly mind blowing and cool, but you're sort of left wondering whether Christopher Nolan understands like, like has such a deep understanding of what the simulation within a simulation within a simulation situation means that it's like that he can like, he can write literature about this thing with like that stuff in the background or if he was really as confused about it as we are, or just like overconfident about it and none of it really makes any sense. And we're not supposed to make any sense of it. Like we don't really know which one it is. And that's part of what makes the movie cool. But for an ever expanding world, like, like Westworld, it's sort of, you're, you're left a little bit adrift trying to figure out what you're supposed to be trying to understand the whole time instead of just what you understand. All of that setting aside for now, we're going to let Andrew go. But before I let you go, do you have anything you want to say about um, Benioff and Weiss, the creators of uh, Game of Thrones, being uh, being inside of one of the lab rooms of Park Four, where they're like about to saw up a dragon and sell it to Costa Rica? Look, man, I I was upset about it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I like I'm okay with like cutesy little like quick like oh that was Benioff and Weiss right there like which, which Benioff and Weiss did a lot of times in Game of Thrones like there are some. There's like a guy from Coldplay in the Red Wedding. Um, this was to the extreme with like Bernard and Bernard and Stubbs actually acknowledging it. Like it's Drogon being there. I, it just, it took me out. And Westworld is a show that I need to be fully in on. And I, I can't oh, be I thinking about it. crossovers here. What do you want more than Westeros? I'm sure world. you did, Danny, the- but <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I was, all right. Well, I was cackling. Danny, Danny, we will let you give your full uh, Benioff and Weiss thoughts in just a moment. Andrew, thank you so much for showing up this week. We will talk to you again really soon, man. Great talking to you guys. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? So, back to reality, Heifetz. Um, Just you and me here. Uh, Is it reality? Yeah, that's the question for this week, right? What is real? What is not real? We said we had. I mean, it's so funny. We had this conversation on our on our Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever episode last week um, about whether or not there are multiple timelines. And I feel like like a host on the cusp of self awareness. <laughs> I was like, well, if something's not normal, it's Maeve's timeline, right? <laughs> if something's yeah. not present, and then of course they just like let us write that. They held our hand right down this path, and I felt like. 
like 10 minutes in the episode, I knew what was coming because we had these two parallel stories going on. I was like, man, they're going to be looking at each other through a funhouse mirror somehow. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but there's going to be something happening here. That's funny. Um, I did not see it coming at all. That's funny you say that. Uh, I'm just overly skeptical, I think. Uh, Maybe that's not a bad place to be when it comes to the show. So anyway, let's break down exactly what happened in the show. At At the end, well, we don't have to go all the way to the end. But they're standing in the lab, Maeve and, and, our, and our dude Lee Sizemore, who has miraculously survived, seemingly, his uh, getting shot up by guns in season two. Um, and he is basically still there, still the head of creative or whatever. And, uh, and he's, he's placed her in this Nazi world, supposedly, to put her close to the forge so she can be close to her daughter, blah, blah, blah. And then when they go to the forge, there's this odd back and forth where it seems like Lee's trying to lead her into answering some questions or something. Um, and, and then and hook up and then tries, then he tries to like kiss her or he does kiss her and he tries to, you know, yeah, hook up with her. And like, she made him a better man and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, nah, none of this is real. She realizes she's in some sort of, I mean, I mean, her only frame of reference is Westworld, right? So she's in some sort of like fake host world simulation. But in fact, she's in like a full on like digital simulation um, where when she eventually breaks the, breaks the the simulation and 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 hacks her way out of it she finds out she's in like a digital world being run out of this lab and then she tries to get a ro- I mean, she she has a robot steal her control unit and try to escape which is again just sort of a very weird plan because like what do you what is a robot holding a control unit supposed to do in the outside world i'm not exactly sure but I guess, thankfully, that robot got shot down by guards and then that, you know, fade to black. And the next thing she knows, she's waking up um, either in the real world in a host body or in another simulation, we assume, um, where she meets Serac and it's like it was all his doing. Did I get all that right? I believe so. Yeah, I think it's worth explaining a little bit of like what actually happened in the simulation where like she throws the thing and it doesn't fall. Yeah, explain that because I'm not sure what happened. So the whole idea is that she's in a computer simulation and she realizes that she has to freeze it like you'd freeze a computer if she wants to get out. So she freezes it by like giving them that math problem, like what's the square root of negative one? And the answer is, you know, it's it's an imaginary number. And I think there's probably a little deeper thing there of like computers and algorithms don't have an imagination. But basically she gives it more processing input than it can handle. So it's like you have too many tabs open on your browser and it freezes your computer. And she's like, all right, mm-hmm. that worked. Proved I'm right. Now, if I want to get out, I can't freeze it. I have to crash the computer. I have to give your computer so much stuff to do. It's going to crash the simulation and then I can get out. So that's when she gives all the technicians in the whole lab arguing about the square root of negative one. And then all the Nazis turn on each other, which I actually really like that. I thought that was actually a really like funny way to do it. Um, start the episode like this will be a world war ii movie and then you ended it like this weird sci-fi plot twist thing but uh-huh. once the simulation had crashed she could exit it which funnily enough is beat for beat like there's this episode of rick and morty which is the same exact <laughs> thing right down to the manner in which they crash it the only difference is that mave has all the nazis turn on each other and all them arguing about the square root of negative one and then in Rick and Morty, they have to do the same thing, except instead of like Westworld, it's like there are these aliens that are like Nigerian scammers, except instead of sending you an email to get your credit card, they put you in a simulation of a simulation to get your like your safe combination. And Rick just holds a concert and is like, all right, everyone put their hands to the left. Everyone put their hands to the right. All right. Everyone born before March to the square root of negative 20 million. And then they are able to literally run past the edge of the simulation, which is basically what Maeve did. Uh, it's funny if, if anyone's seen the Rick and Morty episode, basically the only difference is that it's about whether it's physically leaving or digitally leaving. Maeve was able to digitally leave it um, and then hack her way out. But that is what happened. And that's what all the crashing was about. But I think it's the kind of thing where it's divisive. There's, you're in three groups. You're either really confused by it. You get it and you're really into it or you get it and you really are out on it. And I'm curious how people fall into those three categories because it's such a divisive plot device to have a different simulation reality that I think a lot of people are going to love it or hate it. And I think the in-between is very hard to be in. The thing that I kept wondering afterwards, and maybe I'm moving to moving away from what you were talking about too much. though, is it like in a world where complete digital simulations are possible? What is the purpose of Westworld? Right? I mean, why, 
why do you need to go somewhere physically if you can just go there in a simulation? Well, I think that's the extension of what we were talking about with Andrew, where, I mean, first of all, it's important to remember, this is company owned by Insight, and this is like the guy who runs it. So it seems like this is the most advanced stuff they have. And it's also Maeve, who's a host mind. Uh, so we don't know for a fact that humans can be put into this stuff, but we're certainly getting hints. I mean, between the James Delos stuff from last season, when James Delos was being tested in like this AI chamber, it certainly seems possible. But yeah, maybe that's a great question. It's probably the right question is why would they build a physical place if they could do all this in a digital world? And maybe, well, we are watching a digital world. It's certainly open for interpretation at this point. I mean, the the benefit from a, from a narrative perspective, the benefit of a digital world is that you don't have, there's a, you can kind of hand wave a lot of the questions away, right? I mean, you don't have to wonder, you know, where all these soldiers with guns are coming from, you know, it's just like, it's part of the digital world. But um, I think, I think but, there is it, the, the best evidence for that, like that there is a real, the real world's a simulation actually is that the parallel, I mean, the first time you were watching this, when Maven Hector snuck by all the Nazis. Were you not screaming to yourself, how are they not being noticed? How did nobody see them sneaking by? Well, but even if this was Westworld, presumably the program, the pro, I mean, the, the story would be for these two kind of heroes to escape, right? Yeah, but I guess my point is that when Bernard and Stubbs were in the, the quote-unquote real version, the real human world, it felt the same way, where Bernard's the most wanted dude in this entire place, and him and Stubbs are just walking around and then Stubbs beats these guards relatively easily. It feels just as easy, if not easier, than when Maeve and Hector were apparently in this simulation. And that actually, to me, is, might be the best evidence for it. Oh, that the whole thing is a simulation. I, I mean, in, including the Bernard and, and Stubbs storyline. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, let's just answer that. This is a small question, but I guess it's important. At the very end of the show, when Maeve and Sirach are talking, that was a simulation? I mean, that, that had to be some sort well, no, of digital I think, world. I think that goes to Andrew's theory of that being a grand reveal. As of where we are right now, that is 100% supposed to be the real world. I mean, he literally says, welcome to my world. Welcome to the real world. I don't remember. Like, he says the real world. So the show wants us to believe that that is the real world. Um, and I, I think it's interesting because the, the show has been toying with this idea of what is real for the whole time, right? I mean, I think the second episode when young of the first season when young William goes to Westworld the first time, he talks to Angela. They're in the room where you can like create your class. If this was Call of Duty, he gets to pick his hat and his guns and everything. And he he looks at her and realizes she's a host. And he's like, is this real? Are you real? And she says, if you can't tell, does it matter? And then the second season bludgeons you over the head with this idea of what is real is that which is irreplaceable. And now season three is like, what is real? All right, I know I'm real. What else is real? Like now they're leaning as far into the idea as we can really get. Right. Okay, well, so but as of this moment, there is the human world that is real, and there is supposed to be the human world, which is reality, and then the simulation where Maeve is. All right, quick pushback on that, though. One, okay. presumably he has Maeve's control unit, but, but he wouldn't, I mean, there's no, anything is possible, but he doesn't have her host body. It would make more sense to me that he just woke her up in a different simulation to have that conversation than... And especially, and one where he obviously has control by pushing a button, then for him to have constructed her a host body for the sole purpose of having that conversation. Maybe I'm crazy. And the way he said, I mean, Welcome I think to he my needs world. her to kill Dolores. So unless he wants her to have a practice run, like this is Ender's game or something, I think that he wants to maybe simulate how she would kill Dolores. But he needs the real Maeve to kill the the real Dolores. Well, eventually, yeah, he will. But but the way he said, Welcome to my world. I mean, it made it made it. It did make it seem like to me that he was That's inviting her into his own little his own little private simulation. Um, That's a good point. What would your simulation be like? What would your private simulation be like? Would you have that garden? Yeah, I mean, the, the garden did bear a passing resemblance to Raj World where you, you have theorized that he hangs out, right? I mean, it's, and certainly, yes, you know. I, I do believe he's been to Raj World. But no, but what would your simulation be like? You can simulate My anything. My personal simulation? Yeah, what's your house? Oh, man. I have no idea. I didn't Probably. like his taste, I'm going to be honest. I'm curious what your taste would be. I'm curious what you I want. wouldn't mind having a giant leafy garden in the backyard just for like chilling out outside. That seems that seems like a nice thing to have. A nice like tropical garden. I'm all about function over fashion. I wouldn't like fruit trees. I would want like more garden that, you know, it's making stuff I can eat. You know, I want to, you know, hang out. Like a lemon tree would be lovely. Cherry trees would be but lovely. But Danny, Danny, they're not, it's not real fruit. But I don't know that. So you want just the joy of eating the fruit? Yeah, I, want, I would love to have cherry blossoms. It'll be amazing. Even as your body is being fed by some sort of like nutrient goop tube back in back in a lab somewhere. Well, I feel like I can't do anything about that. I might as well think right. I'm having a good time anyway. Um, 
yeah, that's sort of the whole the like whole this is like uh, Descartes e- and, ethos of this podcast. And just, I feel like Emmanuel think Kant and Descartes time. were arguing about this for a long time. <laughs> just uh, um, just chiming in here to say that Nutrient Goop Tube replaced Neutral Milk Hotel in the Westworld world. Just, <laughs> just wanted to add that for the listeners. Thank can we you. call this? Can we call this podcast that from now on? The the, the Goop Tube. Um, welcome to the Goop Tube, everybody. Welcome this to the Goop Tube. It's gonna be fun. All right, let's uh, let's. Uh, try to d- pivot away from this. We don't know what is real. I mean, that's kind of where we got at the end of this episode there. It, it's we, we try, we talked a lot during season two about how they were deliberately kind of moving away. Or they, they were deliberately trying to present the show as this, as this whodunit sort of, right. I mean, they were like, yes, it was, it was, um, I don't know if I said this on the air, but what, but what it made me think of was like college writing class and this is not to like like to demean the writers on the show at all but it was sort of like 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 you like you go to you like people if you're taking getting like your mfa in creative writing everybody in there is writing these like just deeply personal stories about like coming to grips with a breakup that nobody that that where nothing actually happens it's all internal and and what you're told over and over again by your professors is like the story has to be about something like make something happen so what you end up with is like these deeply personal stories about a breakup that is like set against the background of a bank robbery you know i mean it it becomes these like two very separate things for the purpose of fulfilling the criteria of the creative writing assignment. And that's sort of what season two was, where it was like not at all about a whodunit. I mean, it was in the big reveal at the end, but the entire narrative was a much bigger story about consciousness, right? I mean, that's what we were yes. trying to get at. And this season two feels even more extreme. Like they are very, very plainly like building every episode around chase scenes, around like action movie sequences. And, and yet what we're angling towards is these two sort of like, uh, or three, I guess, like powerful digital brains who are going to come into conflict somewhere, and maybe not, and maybe that somewhere isn't even the physical world. Yeah, I would, I would say though, I think that this season straight up is better written. And we're only two episodes in, but I, I just straight up think the the first two episodes of this season are better than the first two episodes of last season. Oh, I, I, agree. I, I liked season two, but I think they're doing a better job of understand. Like you do the whole thing of writing, and then you come back to the beginning, and you're trying to remember, oh, what is it like to be coming into the show? Two years after season two, four years after season one, I think it's been much more accessible. Uh, now, and now we're into the weird stuff. I mean, I, I mentioned to you like it, Westworld season. The first episode of the season, and for anyone jumping back into the show, was like a good first impression. But it's like introducing someone, you know, your partner with to your family, and you're like, damn! Like, eventually, my dysfunctional family will show how weird they are. It's just a matter of can you delay it? And the, this was the episode right off the bat. The second impression, like, no, this is a weird show about weird stuff and weird ideas. And like Elon Musk's Twitter replies, that's the whole show. Uh, but I think that, in a nutshell, though, they Maeve kind of got to the part of the who done it when she's talking to the simulation of Sizemore, and she says, "Whoever's doing this has gone to a lot of trouble to test me, find out what I know. You took me to the forge for a reason, didn't you? You thought I could reassess the world Dolores has hidden from you. Why are you after that world? Whoever planned this has their own agenda, and it certainly is not a family reunion." So now we know that the person who planned this, or at least the person we think planned this, is Ciroc, and it seems that that agenda is this host-human war uh, between where Dolores is the only not predictable thing. It seems that this artificial intelligence, Rehoboam, Reho- I'm going to get it eventually, Rehoboam can predict everyone except Dolores, and if Dolores isn't predictable, then she's a, she's a threat. And so it's right. can they neutralize Dolores or not? And I think that that is definitely what you know, Ciroc, uh, Diddy's Vodka Company, whatever we're going to call him, the architect, whatever. That's what he's after. And I think that's what he needs Maeve for. How he's going to convince Maeve to turn on Dolores, I think, is the interesting thing going forward. I don't really know exactly what that'll be. Well, you, you, I mean, we both said the word whodunit or the term whodunit. And, and I thought one of the kind of weird aside, I mean, weird b- bits of the show was that, I mean, I, I, to, to use the, the phrase deus ex machina is a little bit on the nose, I feel like here, because, you know, uh, everybody's a ghost in the machine in a in a digital world but um it did, there did seem to be like i think there were like three different moments in this episode where someone was like like trying to figure out what happened and then they immediately were just landed on dolores without thinking too deeply about it you know just like wait yes. who was here if you weren't here oh must have been dolores it's like oh well who took mave's brain oh must have been dolores like like the, everyone just kept like point, pointing at dolores and assuming she was the actor behind everything which i think that's for the people coming into the show who need like like the show owes people some dot connecting especially if they're going to go this deep because the show's been off the air for so long and it's been so complicated they have to give some dot connecting for people 
So we we still don't know why Bernard exists. Uh, presumably that will that was part of that flashback, and that'll come to we'll, we'll come to understand that in in coming weeks. But you didn't like, did you like slow motion through any of that any of that uh, weird yeah, flashback yeah. So, sequence? So basically, what I believe the nutshell of that is. So first of all, Bernard is questioning. I mean, he's questioning his own reality because he doesn't seem to be fully in control of his own memories because Dolores is probably, you know, I'm going to knock whatever is directly below guaranteeing that Dolores built Bernard to mm-hmm. uh, bring him back. And those flashbacks seem to indicate that he doesn't remember how Westworld ended. And I think or like season two ended like everyone else. He's a little fuzzy on the details of the season two finale. And he seems to have forgotten what Dolores did exactly. And it's funny because it seems that even uh, Ciroc and the people running Westworld don't know what Dolores did. So it seems that Dolores kind of wiped his memories. But if you ever like on your computer, like deleted files, but you didn't drag it from the trash can and then hit empty trash. That's kind of mm-hmm. what she did. She deleted a bunch of memories, but there's they, they're still in his trash can. And that was kind of him going into his trash can and cycling through like, oh, look at all these files that were tried to be deleted, but weren't right. So one of them was Dolores going through and looking at Liam's book, her boyfriend's book and reading it which implies that that's how she's cuddled up to him is that she knows exactly everything about him and all his DNA and maybe like right. a lot of his memories. So that seems to be how she's gotten so in and close to insight so far. And then also a lot of it was memories that Bernard had of season two. So it seems like just after he remembered what happened in season two, now he is kind of forgetting all over. Right. Okay. So he's trying to figure out what's going on. He he th- he says that Dolores' plan or what her desire is to enslave the human race. Um clearly she's trying like she before she even left Westworld at se- at the end of season 2, she had targeted Rehoboam. She had targeted Insight. She she clearly targeted our dude Liam. Um do we have any concept of what her larger plan is? Well, in the the enslaved thing is a is a big point because for the past it mostly just seemed like she wanted to kill everyone. I believe this is the first time we've heard any intonation that Dolores might not want to. She's just said, "I want to destroy humanity. I want to take their world." We haven't heard yet that she wants to enslave humanity. Obviously, if she takes control of this AI that seems to control all of society now, that she would be able to do that. So I think that beyond just like death and destruction, this is the first time we've seen that she would want to do that. Uh, and I do think it matters that she like. There is a big picture look here of becoming your tormentor that if you just become the the more powerful person and then you immediately use it to enslave the humans, like, are you better than them were to begin with? And then since they created you, do you have you don't just look like your creator? Do you have the sins of your creators, too? I think that's the big picture way to look at that if she were to kind of turn that heel. But it does make sense that if she's trying to enslave humanity, that the, the the target is this machine that's already enslaved humanity, right? She gets control of that. Yes. She's in control of everything. I guess it's interesting to wonder if Sirak has maybe underestimated her because so far he only seems to see her as a as a deviation, right? I mean, he's trying to kill her. He, he wants Maeve to kill her. That much is certain. But like he keeps seeing Bernard and Maeve and and Dolores pop up in his in his mainframe as like as just as you know like error messages or whatever. Well, no, I think like, that's an important point because my my theory on what those are is that Rehoboam I might be getting it. Rehoboam can predict what everyone's doing. I think that's right. the real big picture thing, except Dolores. And anytime that the hosts make a decision, with the larger implication being, you can read a book on people and access all their memories, and you'll know everything they're going to do except the host, because the hosts actually have free will and people don't. I think that's the implication. And that Dolores well, making a choice, the divergence is free will. I think that's the idea. Well, I mean, the thing popped up last week for Bernard, I'm pretty sure. So it's like, there's all these different things. But here's a, here's a suggestion. We're going to move on to stupid questions and keep talking about other stuff. But here, here's, all a, here's a kind cra- of stupid questions. Here's a crazy theory for you. We don't know why, why Dolores brought Bernard back. Is it possible that Dolores brought Bernard back and threw him in the Philippines and wiped his brain just enough because he knew that, or she knew that he would immediately go to Westworld and bring Maeve back? Like he needs, I I mean, what she told him at the end of season two was that I need you. Even if we're going to disagree, I can't do this without you. And I'm better than people because a human being would not have brought back someone who's going to be their enemy, but I'm doing it because I need you. But what if what she needs, what what if what she needs is to get rid of her only actual threat which is Maeve she couldn't leave the island with Maeve because Maeve's Maeve's control unit was elsewhere so she brought back Bernard solely to go get Maeve because he because she knew that would be his first instinct to fight her by getting Maeve so and somehow she's like going to lay a trap for him to reclaim Maeve's control unit when he gets back 
Maybe, though, but I'm less. In, I'm all I know is that Ford in the season one finale said that Dolores and Bernard have always had a weird influence on each other, and part of that is because they have this weird cycle where Arnold created Dolores, and then Arnold killed himself, so Dolores created Bernard, and then Bernard created Dolores, and then Dolores created Bernard, and it's like it's like they have this weird phoenix like rebirth death cycle where they have to build each other they can't really exist without each other and i think that it's a it's not like dolores is just some puppeteer pulling all the strings that bernard's mind i think it's more that they have like a weirdly toxic relationship where someone's in power and then someone's not and then someone's in power and then someone's not and i think they're just in a cycle now where dolores is more in power but um, no no i totally agree with everything you just said I just think what Dolores Dolores knows Bernard well enough to know that if she throws him in the Philippines, he's going to go get Maeve and bring her back. And that's and that's and that's the most direct line for Dolores to come in control of Maeve's control unit. But she doesn't know that somebody's already got their hands on it. Anyway, we'll come we'll come back to that in the future. Hopefully, maybe not. Who knows? Let's move on. Would to it be simpler if we answered all these questions with maybe? <laughs> Would it be simpler if we just waited to do a podcast until the season was over and then pretended we knew everything all along? That's <laughs> a good question. Ten minutes. Like, all right, so uh, it was yeah. a simulation. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's move on to some stupid questions. Um, we've already talked about all the idiocy that happened in, in, the, in the simulation. And listen, that's going to be... The, the answer to a lot of our normal awards is sort of out the window because, uh, as ace researcher Daniel Chin pointed out, the stupidest things that happened in this episode were all, you know, things that happened in the simulation, and that didn't actually really happen. Um so here's a good one. We're not quite sure. I mean, there was some question that you raised as to whether or not Bernard and Stubbs and, you know, and Andrew raised it too. If we're all in a simulation, then who knows? But Stubbs did beat up tons of security dudes who had all had these like Dude, assault rifles. They were and all running these- away at the end. He's like, come back. What happened to their guns? Here's the thing. They have P90s. Anyone who plays Call of Duty Modern Warfare knows that that's like the best gun in the game is the P90. It's like, like the, the idea that six guys could have P90s and one guy walks up with an axe and swings it once, and then he isn't just lit up, is, is, is in a show that constantly defies every part of reality, is the most unrealistic thing that's happened in the whole, in the whole series. Is Stubbs taking an axe and beating six guys with submachine guns, submachine guns in a hallway. Incompetence. He is a host, you know, he's got like a lot of power. Look, here's the thing. I, he trained these guys, right? He's in charge of that department. So, has he just purposely been like making all of his employees so incompetent he could best them if he ever had to do it? What is their training? What is their certification? Where are they hiring these people from? I Have they looked I do at their resumes? Did they lie on their resumes? What is going on? Listen, these guys any- are the worst. They're worse than the the what's the the clones in Star Wars are famously have no accuracy. These are the worst henchmen in the history of henchmen. But in any fight in the real world, the per- like regardless of almost anything the person who's gonna win is the one that like really doesn't care if they murder the other person if you get into a fight with someone who's like i don't want to hurt this person and the other person's like i will murder you for real the murdering person's <laughs> gonna win and this is a situation where like all these dudes know stubs they're like i you know i'm supposed to shoot him i'm supposed to take him down but like if you're aiming for like a shoulder clip or like to shoot him in the foot then and he's like actually trying to get rid of you then he's he's got a, he's got an advantage and also he's got the power of you know He's got like the 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 narrative armor on, you know. I mean, they, he he has to survive this combat, and and at least he was winded at the so end. Just like, send it looked two like it guys easy. to go get him. Why do you need six? Just send two. Uh, six was cooler. Um, <laughs> do you think this is a stupid question? Do you think that 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 um that Park Four that that Thrones World is actually going to come into play at any point, or is that just like a throwaway fun like wink for this episode? They probably blew all their budget on that dragon. That dragon probably cost $10 million. You could bail out the airlines with the amount of money they spent to get that dragon in there for three seconds. <laughs> Maybe they shoot some leftover uh, 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 footage from, from the last season of Thrones. Who knows? Um, <laughs> why, here's a great stupid question. How did Bernard get into Westworld so easily? Is it just because it Dude. was like sort of shut down right now or what? Like he, like it you, was you would like think a, there'd be some yellow caution tape or something. He just shows up on the beach. And walks directly to the place where everyone was murdered. Well, there Just was like a do right not... That church is right... So, all right. Important to note that that scene was actually kind of cool because it would look like the town was burned down, right? Uh-huh. That wasn't like a set. The actual place where they film season one and two at that location is on the Paramount Ranch. And it burned down in a wildfire. And, I mean, in terms of the arc of the show, obviously the church is the most important thing in that town. 
kind of amazingly, like cosmically, the only part of that town that didn't burn down was the church on this Paramount Ranch. So, oh wow, I don't know how much they touched it up, but that actually is kind of what the town looked like when they got back to it. So I think that that was a very spiritual moment for the show to be like everything burned down except the church where we had made like the whole first season about. So I think that's why they had him walk by it and through the graveyard. And then he kind of goes under the graveyard to like where all the hosts are, which is kind of like the hosts are underneath that graveyard, I think. Um, So that that part's cool. But at the same time, you would think you couldn't just in the show, you think you couldn't just walk right there and it would never come up. Well, there was like there was like a there was like a chain link fence and like a do not enter sign. And presumably there was a great distance that had to be traversed. Right. Like if this was just some pesky kid from a fishing boat who was like, let's go explore. I mean, yeah, I would he assume he, would, he would get a half mile in and be like, no, we're turning back because this is scary. If you look at season one, the distance from Sweetwater to the ocean. I mean, that has to be miles. This place is supposed to be like 500 square miles or something. Right. So maybe the maybe the real deterrent is just like empty space and the the specter of getting lost and everything else. The actual desert. Um, is it also worth mentioning that the whole implication of it being in the South China Sea is that China has continued to build islands in the South China Sea? Um, yeah, we can get into that on a future episode. I think. Um, <laughs> are there any other stupid questions we need to get into, or do you want to move on to the awards? Oh man, um, I, I think that Nazi commander is uh really really t- just not doing his job i have a lot of questions about his his command and his leadership we never really know i mean we don't really know how much of any of this to take seriously uh because uh, it was all on the side of simulation but we can i believe assume that war world exists as an actual place in the park because mave when she still thought she was um that it that it was real just was just like so you sent me to war world like she was actually familiar with the place Maybe not. Maybe that's well, really I have, too much into if it. If it's a real place, I have a dumb question, which is, do they really have planes there? Because, like, of all the things that, oh, the guns can somehow not hurt you. If you get in a plane and fly, you can still crash. So I feel like the guests shouldn't be in planes. I feel like that's outside of their control for safety. But I guess this park has a lot of safety stuff from problems. Yeah, the, the, I think the point is that the plane was, will never take off. I was actually screaming that at the TV when it was happening. But, but I think the point is that if there was ever any plane in Westworld, which presumably there'd be some in some of these parks, they don't have mo- they don't have motors in them or engines in them or they you know they're not actually able to take off. There's always going to be some storyline reason why the plane can't move because otherwise, yeah, you could just fly away. And as um, dumb as that scene was, I will say there's a quote from that that I actually think will come back and be very important. And Maeve says to him, "The, the plane is a tr- like, like this world is a trap. We can't leave." And he says, "She's like everything isn't real." And Hector says, "Except for the skies." And I think that that, considering the opening with the eagle flying up, I do think actually the skies might like lo- the idea of looking up for reality is interesting or an escape. Got to look for these important th- nods in like the, the the weirdest possible places, I guess. All right, let's move on to the awards the, for this episode. Award number one: the biggest, most shocking reveal. And now I finally understand what you were trying to tell me. We have we had a few of them this this uh, this week. You know, there was the Thrones cameo with Benioff and Weiss that we talked about. Um, there was the return of Ashley Stubbs, and the, I guess the reveal that Ashley Stubbs is a host. Although we had some inkling of that last season, um, the twenty minutes where we thought Sizemore was alive. Yeah, the, the return of Sizemore. Uh, the things we learned about Dolores looking at Liam's book in the library. There was the, the reveal of Sirach as an active character. I thought was interesting. I mean, but like, listen. You can argue with me if you want. The biggest reveal of this episode was that Maeve was in a simulation the whole time, that she wasn't actually in War World on the West, in, in the physical Westworld Park, right? I mean, it's not even a question. Man, I wish everything was this easy. Do you know now who you've been talking to? Why don't you go first? Why don't you give me some, some, some uh, nominees here? Oh my god! If there's Mave to Sizemore, if there's one thing I know about human nature, it's that your stupidity is only eclipsed by your laziness. <laughs> which I am guilty of that one. Uh, I literally then, had this talk. I literally had that talk with my son. Nida wasn't calling him super lazy. I was trying to explain why there were still people like camped out and and going like going out to drink in Brooklyn right now during the coronavirus. <laughs> I was like, never underestimate the attract of the, the attraction of laziness or of, of sameness in your life. So anyway, it's so true. And the other one I loved is like one of the first things Sizemore said when he was, and, which was in the simulation of trying to stop the guys from shooting her. And he says, would you imbeciles shoot up the Sistine chapel just because the paint was chipped? This is art. <laughs> and we know how much I love the 
every reference to the Sistine Chapel and like God creating Adam and that painting and the idea of endowment of consciousness. And I think that that's just a confirmation that Maeve is big Garden of Eden vibes. Like she literally ends the episode in the garden in the garden with that guy who seems to be of, of godlike quality and he's eating apples. So <laughs> love any Garden of Eden uh, stuff we can get. Um, all right, that th- those are those are really good. I loved it when Maeve said uh, when she was trying to when she started to figure out that she was not actually in Warworld. She has a very brief line that she says, "We're not here, so where the fuck are we?" Which is just sort of <laughs> I think that should be on a T shirt about the entire episode. Um, and then I think that the I mean to me the winner was I mean these things are all just just given to us on silver platters or at least virtual silver platters at, on Westworld. I feel like just like Ford monologuing last season. We had Ciroc with some some uh, dropping some knowledge at the end of this episode, and I think the the real key line was him saying, "For the most part, we talked about it before. For the most part, humanity has been a miserable little band of thugs stumbling from one catastrophe to the next. Our history is like the ravings of lunatics, chaos. But we've changed that. For the first time, history has an author. Um, that sounds a lot like a Robert Fordism. If he just kind of went down a different path in life, and I and I think that that's you know." That's sort of the the you know the the Doctor Doom monologue for for this season that and everything's going to spill outward from there. What do you think? Um, the ravings of lunatics thing hit a little hard. I feel like you could characterize most of what I say on this podcast as the ravings of a lunatic. So I took this one <laughs> a little personally. Um, well, that's okay. I think we can get over that. Okay, award number three. This is a little bit of a hard one this week. A little bit of a hard one this week. So the award, the 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 this maze was not meant for you award for the dumbest human. Um, got a lot of got a lot of the most of the dumb humans were in a were were in you know the fake war world simulation. So I don't really know where to go with this. Do do you have any suggestions? I mean, yeah. There's before we found out the simulation, it's definitely all the Nazis that let them just walk behind them, and then the QA guys. Who I mean, my thoughts on the QA guys are very clear. They're just not very good at their jobs. But I'm also just curious, the guy who like drove that boat. Well, I guess he's probably the smartest one because he just dropped him off and was like, I'm not coming back. So he probably wins the smartest one. But the dumbest one, man, I don't know. Maybe maybe those people who try to stop the drone host at the bottom and just got tossed out of the way. Yeah, but they, I mean, listen, I mean, they, they eventually proved to be doing the right thing, right? I mean, there were the, the, the guards eventually got him down and they were just following orders. I, don't, I mean, I, I feel like the only the only humans with any the only human with any real volition in the entire episode was Sirach. And I have a hard time calling him dumb, but he might win this award by default. Do you want to give it to Ciroc? Were there any other humans in the episode? Can we give it to the people who decided to name the big bad of this season after Diddy's Vodka Company? And every time I hear it, I'm going to think about... It's a totally different word. It's not a different word. It's spelled differently. It sounds the exact same. It's a vodka company. Why would you name it after a vodka company? It's like SponCon. They're not even getting paid for it. That's that's my vote. Don't name him Ciroc. We might as well call him Svedka or something. The Grey Goose. Should we get okay. out of here? <laughs> that is it for this week. We will see you back here on Tuesday for our second Ten Fool Tuesdays episode. That's just in uh, in in one day or two, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, if you want to send us a question or a theory or just a hey, how you doing? You can email us at therecapablewestworld at gmail dot com. That's therecapablewestworld, all one word at gmail.com we look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to talking to you again later this week and we'll be back with another recap one week from now immediately after episode three airs on sunday have a nice couple of days robots <laughs>